0: We actually, you know, weather like this This kind of makes you want to curl up before a fireplace and with a warm drink and a book in your hand, but I'm so thankful to see all of you here out this morning. And I want to pray that you will join us in praying for the weather, as you know, as Pastor mentioned, and I can't emphasize this enough. Um, The devil can use anything to hinder people from hearing the truth. And so I'm asking you to join me in praying that God will hold back the weather and that people will still be able to come out. And if you can't make it, whether because of scheduling issues or work, I just want to ask you to just remember our series in prayer. Many years ago, I had a series in um, Arkansas, in Gentry, Arkansas, and I actually was the the pinch hitter, like I had to substitute for another evangelist by the name of John Earnhardt. Now, John Earnhardt, as the name sounds, was the cousin of the race car driver, Dale Earnhardt, and he couldn't make it, so they invited me to come in his place. But the church told me something fascinating that I never forgot. They said, you know, he he came six months before the series began, and he did a little, like a pep rally, and he said to us, the number of people that are praying earnestly during the series is how many people we will baptize at the end of the series. And I thought I, I'd never heard of that. And you know, I, I had read the book Evangelism, and I thought that that that's not in there. But anyway, I I didn't know what to expect. So they they had already planned because of that challenge. They had a little side room next to the auditorium. And every night there was like, I don't know, between seven to 15 people in the side room just praying. They had a list of names and they were just praying during the whole series. And at the end of that series, we baptized 11 people. And I thought, that, there must be something to this. There, there must be some connection between showing God that you're earnest about winning souls and the number of people that actually end up being brought in because God is in charge of the harvest. Amen. So please, join us in prayer. Having said that, uh, today, I don't know what the custom or the tradition is here, but I'm using a very, uh, a very simplified method of preaching. I'm going to use just my paper Bible, if that's okay, and uh, I'm going to ask you to open, if you have your Bible, to the book of Revelation, there is... Uh, some in here that can testify that when I was asked this past Thursday um, if I would preach the same message, I, I requested to preach two different messages for the morning and the, and the later service, and uh, they said, for now, just, just do the same one. And my wife uh, came to me this morning after the first service, and she said, you know, that sermon started off a little bit dry, <laughs> and so... I just want to tell you that this sermon starts off a little bit dry, okay? (laughs) Um, But this this message today is entitled, The Almost Perfect Church. And I want to ask you to look at Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, introduces us to one of the seven churches, and If you have been here for Sabbath school, I'm sure that you know that this quarter we are studying the book of Revelation. And that's exciting in itself, but we're studying, and and it was several weeks ago, uh, I taught that lesson, but we're studying the seven churches among other things, you know? And so we're talking about the seven churches, and here we're talking about the church of Ephesus. Um, I want to tell you that the name Ephesus, it means desirable. And that's a great name for a church, uh, you know, it's, it's a church that is a good church. When I first entered pastoral ministry, my conference, uh, when they were interviewing, they flew us out, and, and they, they flew me out, they, you know, they kind of rolled out the red carpet, and we, we went to the church, and then we visited with leadership, and then afterwards, you know, we, we sat down with the conference executive secretary and the president, and he said, I want you to know, Emmanuel, that if I was back in pastoral ministry, I would take this church because it's a good church. And he was right. It was an excellent church. And this this church that we're reading about, Ephesus, it's that kind of a church. I want you to notice the description of this church in verse 2. Jesus is speaking to the church, and he says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Now, if you summarize that description, I would say that this is a hardworking, discriminating, long-suffering church. This is a group of good people. And the, the mention of their activity, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. You know, this is a group of believers that have been doing a lot of work for a long time. And I want to just make a note here because it's important to understand why Jesus introduces himself to the church as he does. In verse 1, he said, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars, where? In his right hand. Now, if you go up to verse 20 of chapter 1, the seven stars represent the messengers or the elders of the seven churches, the leadership, you could say. And when the Bible says the right hand, I'm sure that many of you know that the right hand in Scripture is a symbol of favor. But that's not the only representation that that right hand gets because scripture in Isaiah chapter, I believe it's 40 or 41, the Bible says that God says to his people, You know, fear not, for I'm with thee, be not afraid, I am God. I will help thee, yea, I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. In scripture, the right hand is a symbol also of God's sustaining power. And when I look at a church of this size that has been in this community for so long, and I know that you know that in this conference there are other churches that have a bigger sanctuary than you, but have maybe one-tenth of the membership that you have. And I only say that to say that as God has sustained a church like this for so long, we can only attribute that to the sustaining power of God's hand. Amen? God is the one that's given you the strength. God is the one that has strengthened you, that has upheld you so that you can continue to be a light shining in this community for decades. Now, when you have a church like Ephesus, they're working, they're active, they're busy. I cannot help but draw a parallel to your own church here. Beaverton. Now, I confess, I've only been here since Thursday, so a little over two days or three days if you count it. And uh, when I was being given a tour, Charles graciously took time out and showed me almost every room in this church. Uh, I was amazed, I have to be honest with you, because I'm a member of a church that We have whole sections of the church that are not entered into because there's no kids. There's no use for certain rooms. And so, you know what they become? They become like kind of a time capsule, and you have, you know, decades of people's stuff left there, and it's kind of sad. But I marveled as I went through your church, and I saw room after room, and all of your rooms are being used. Praise God for that. Amen? Amen? Praise God that you have enough children. As I saw the children's story, I was envious because the first and second service, you have all these beautiful children. And you know, the fact is that a church like this with so many things going on, uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see that even in the church, now some churches have a separate building, But in the church, you have a community services center, community service center. And what a a blessing that can be to the community. And just so that you know, I joined a gym right across the street, and they knew that this was the big church. You know, we told them about the prophecy seminar, we invited the manager to come. But they kind of understood that it was here, you know, and he called it the big church. And I thought, you know, that's nice that this church is known in this area and uh, you guys have a presence here, and it's felt. People around here know who you are. They know that you guys are doing things for the community. And I want you to know that when a church of this size has all these ministries, I've, like I said, I've just been here a short time, but I noticed you have Pathfinders, you have active Sabbath schools, and you have the community services. I also noticed that you have like a and maybe it's not part of the church's ministry, but a, um, a drug, um, Alcoholics Anonymous program that also is here. And you have these, these various ways to minister to people. I believe that the commendation that God gives to Ephesus is also rightly, it's aptly applied to here, to this Beaverton church here in this area. This church could truly be said to be known by Christ. He knows about your works. He knows about your labor. He knows about the patience. He knows that you have been discriminating when it comes to truth and error. Now, I want you to look with me at verse 3. I'm going to introduce to you um, a literary device that is used here. Do you notice that in verse 3, it starts with the word born? Now, born is past tense of bear. Does that make sense? Okay, so in verse 3, it starts out, you have born, which is past tense of bear, and has patience, which is also mentioned in verse 2 again. And then it says, and for my name's sake, has labored. And that word labored is also mentioned in verse 2 and has not fainted now this is what we call a chiasm it's like a hinge if you can picture a hinge so you have in verse 2 the words works labor patience and bear and then in verse 3 you have the word bear patience labor and then it leaves out one word it leaves out the word works And the reason it leaves it out is because in verse 4, Jesus addressing their works, he says this, "'Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love.'" Now, most pastors, and I don't think Pastor Rodney would be in this category, but most pastors would tell you if they have a frustration with their church, it's that they can't get people to do things. You ask for volunteers, you elect, you nominate people, and it's just so, so many people are, oh, you know, pastor, I can or I, I won't or I'm too busy. From what I can see, the Beaverton Church doesn't seem to have that problem on a big scale. Last night, we had our foyer stocked with volunteers. In addition to that, we had a lot of members that came out to support the series. And I'm not going to complain. I was pleasantly surprised at how many church members turned out last night. And I have to tell you that God sees and is pleased when we are willing to serve His cause. But you know... It's amazing that with as many things as the church has commended, or, or the many, as many things as the church has commendation for, Jesus says, I have something. I have this one thing that I want to mention to you. Now, I, I just have to tell you that we as human beings, we tend to be maybe a little bit less Discriminating. Uh, when I was single, I was dating different people to try to find the one, so to speak. And when I met my who is now my wife, I don't know if anybody else did this, but I made like a list of like pros and cons. I don't know if anybody anyway. So I made this list and I said, okay, she can cook really well. Pro. But then I discovered, wow, she's like really, really smart, like smarter than me. And then I put that in the con category. You (laughs) I was like, okay. And then I was like, wow, she used to be a model, pro. And then um, I found out she's very spiritual, like more spiritual than me. And I put that in the con category (laughs) because I thought, man, I want to be. But anyway, so... You have these things, and you know what? Even with those those list of cons, you still think, okay, but that's okay. I can get around that. Those things don't bother me, and lo and behold, we got married. But I have to tell you, folks, that Jesus with the church of Ephesus is not like that. He actually says, you know, I know that you've worked. I know that you're hardworking. I know that you've patiently borne all these years, and I know that you're discriminating. But then he says, I have this one thing. Just one thing? I mean, just, you know, if you buy a house, you buy a car, you get married, usually there's a few things you might like, but Jesus, I have one thing. One thing. What is it? Verse 4, because thou hast left thy first love. The word first here, it doesn't mean necessarily order. It means rank. Now, when Jesus says this to the church, we must take note that it's possible, and please don't miss this, it is possible that a church can be active, a church can be busy, a church can be, you know, reaching out and doing all these things, it's possible that a church can do all these things and lack the essential ingredient necessary for meaningful, lasting service, and that is a first love experience with Jesus. That's possible. I dare say that (coughs) I have been there. I used to work as an evangelist for a very, very well-known ministry, and (coughs) I did six meetings per year. Now, that may not seem like a lot, but I was on the road about 42 weeks out of 52 weeks every year. And that means that you move 12 times because you arrive, you unpack, and then you pack up, and then you unload, and then you repack. You have to keep doing the cycle. And I have to tell you that there comes a time when you are doing things but the connection is not as strong. And I don't want to say that I didn't have God in my life but you can get burned out even doing ministry. It's possible that you can go through the motions, you can do all these things and yet the heart of the issue. The the burning, zealous, fervent zeal is just not there. You're doing it because it's your job. You know, this experience of the first love is something that not everyone has experienced. It comes when you experience conversion in your life. And you can come to church for your whole life But it doesn't necessarily mean that you're converted. A conversion is not, you know, a modification. It's a transformation of the life. And it changes your tastes and your desires, not instantly, but over time. I want to just share with you a little bit about how I was converted. I went to an Adventist school, and I believe in Adventist education, and when I went to this Adventist school, they had a week of prayer. And, you know, in, weeks, in, in a week of prayer, usually it's designed to revive people. But I had never really given my heart to Jesus before. And I had a close friend. Even to this day, we're just good friends. And he said to me, like on night three, he said, why don't you give your heart to Jesus? What would keep you from giving your heart to Jesus? And i thought to myself you know why don't i like what's keeping me and as i really thought about it i thought you know i'm not happy i'm I'm not enjoying my life without christ what why why am i holding on to this and so the next night there was an altar call i went forward and i just said lord whatever you want me to do i'm gonna do it what if you want me to if you know whatever you want i want to in that week and in the following weeks my life began to change i'll tell you what happened one of the first things that happened is I felt strong conviction of sin. And what I mean by that is I, it's not that, it's not that <coughs> I remembered everything, but God spoke to my heart and he impressed me, hey, these are some things that you've done wrong and you have to confess. And I remember that <coughs> in my mind, I, re, I pointed out people in the school that I knew, like, hey, I... I've wronged these people. I, I need to make things right. And that was one of the hardest things I had to do. Some people, I, I asked them, can I, can I just speak with you for a moment? I'd pull them aside and I'd say what I had to And there were some people that were just totally shocked, like I had no idea, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, as hard as it was, I felt a sa- sense of satisfaction knowing that when, when we have wronged others, as much as it is in our power to do so, we should make things right. I remember that I was someone. My parents used to use like threats and intimidation and all kinds of things to get me to read the Bible or to read spiritual material. And I was an avid reader. Like I, we lived across the street from a library, and I could read like every Stephen King novel in a few days. But it, like, the Bible was just so uninteresting to me. <clears throat> and I remember that after my conversion, the Bible became like honey. It was sweet. To read for those of you that have been through that i think you know what it's like like you wake up and you want to hear what god has to say in his word and i was there i experienced that in fact not only that my prayer life changed i didn't just thank god for the food or you know now i lay me down to sleep i actually talked with god i actually had prayer sessions where I wasn't worried about how long has it been kind of a thing. I actually just prayed because I wanted to talk with God. Now, I don't know what your first love experience was like, but that first love experience, it propelled me. I mean, it compelled me. I went on mission trips, I can't say where, but I went on mission trips where it was illegal to propagate and proselytize for Christianity and we were hidden in safe houses. We had to drink water that had dirt in it. Okay, it was boiled, but it still had dirt sediment in it. And we had horrible conditions. But you know what? I didn't care because I wanted to talk to people about Jesus. It was the motive. It was the burning fire within my bones, and I couldn't stop. But you know, there comes a point when we lose sight of that first love I want you to be honest with yourself today and I want to ask I want you to ask yourself this question so don't don't look at me don't raise your hand but I want you to ask yourself this question and the question is do I love Jesus more now than I have ever loved him before because if you don't if you can't honestly answer that question yes then there's a chance that you may have left your first love. Now, how do you fix this problem? How do you regain that zeal, that love, that earnestness? How do you gain it back? Please look with me at verse 5, Revelation 2, verse 5. And here's what the Bible says. It says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Maybe there are some of you that are discouraged. Maybe some of you are here today and you've been backslidden and you don't even know how to get back. A well-known Christian writer said, when darkness and discouragement surround you, look to the place where you last saw the light look to the place where you last saw the light some of you can sit here right now and you can say i remember when i was closer to jesus i remember there was a time when i was more active for jesus i remember that there was a time when i delighted to have my personal devotions because i wanted to talk with jesus If you are in a place right now where you're doing things but it's not motivated by love, think back to where it was that you first experienced that fervent love for Christ. Remember, the Bible says, from whence thou art fallen, and do what? The Bible says, and repent. Now, repentance is very simply put, it's sorrow for sin and turning away from sin. And you know, <sighs> repentance is a gift. We don't have it on our own. We, we sin because we like to sin. And I want to encourage you, if anyone today feels that they understand that sin is wrong and they want to stop that in, that feeling that desire is evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in your life because of our own selves we like sin. The Bible says that the carnal heart is enmity against God. And so naturally we don't have it within ourselves to repent. Repentance is a gift and any time you feel sorrow for sin that is evidence That is proof that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. The Bible says, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Some of you in here could say, I used to be more active. I, I led choir. I was a Sabbath school teacher. Well, folks, what's keeping you? Say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be active again. Give me an opportunity. God will open doors for you. Some of you can think of a time, I used to be more involved in missions. Some of the most effective missionaries I have met overseas have been retirees. I know there are some of you in here today that are thinking, well, I serve the Lord a lot. You know, when I was a pastor, I, we would have nominating committee and we'd call some of these these uh, retirees, so to speak. And they'd say something like this, Pastor, I, I already did that before. Can you, uh, can you let some of the younger, the newer ones do that? You know, there was an Adventist woman named Nellie Druard, who had served the Adventist church in Africa for many years. She retired. Her husband passed away. She was in her 70s. And she was asked to help start a school, and she said, no, you know, guys, look, I'm already retired. Like... So Ellen White actually wrote to her, and this is what Ellen White said. Ellen White said, Nellie, I know that you think that your work for God is done. But she said, if you will give yourself to the Lord now, and if you will help these two young men start this school, She said, God will do more through you now than he has ever done through you in your entire life prior to this point. There are some of you in here, I believe right now, who have more to do for God now than you have ever done in your entire life prior to this. You just have to take up the work. I want you to look with me, if you will, at verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the what, everybody? Of the tree of life. Now, keep your finger there. Well, Actually, you don't have to keep your finger there. Come with me to Revelation 22. Now, to the church of Ephesus, Jesus says, I'm going to let you, if you overcome this first love problem, I'm going to let you eat of the tree of life. Notice what the Bible says. In Revelation 22, look with me at verse 14. Who has the right to the tree of life? The Bible says, blessed are they that what? Do his commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. Friends, I want to ask you a question. According to the Bible, who has the right to the tree of life? It's those that do his what? Commandments. I want to ask you, if I asked you, what's the one thing that you need in order to obey God's commandments? What's the one thing that you need? That one thing that you need, it starts with the letter L. It's what? It's love. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Friends, Jesus is coming soon. This is a great church. You guys are working in this community. You guys have been serving. You've been active. And just maybe there is someone here that's been doing their church office, their church function, their role faithfully. But just maybe it hasn't been motivated by that burning zeal, that love for Christ. Jesus invites you. Remember what it was like. Turn away from whatever's hindering you and do what you used to do when you were on fire for me. Friends, we're going to pray today. Before we pray, I'm going to just make a short invitation. If there's anybody here that wants to say, Lord, reignite the fire in my heart. Rekindle love, the first love. Love. In my heart today if that's your desire if that's your earnest request i'm going to ask you to just raise your hand and tell god say lord that's my heart's need today god bless you for raising your hand would you bow your heads with me as we close with a word of prayer heavenly father i want to thank you for the privilege that we have as christians to serve you in this place And Lord, thank you for the Beaverton SDA Church. What a a remarkable church, not just in the building, but in the individuals that make this an active, thriving church. And Lord, in the midst of all of that activity and bustle, I pray that the engine, that the impetus, would be nothing less than a first love for jesus lord you saw the hands you saw my hand grant us that which we need for we ask these things in jesus name we pray amen